Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, COVID-19. We look at the impact the pandemic is having on Minnesotans, what the governor and lawmakers are doing, how to cope with the stress, the economic impact, and what we can all do to help. Just like that early fall day back in 2001, the week we just got through is one that Minnesotans will never forget. Scott, the most unsettling week in Minnesota probably since 9-11 began first thing Sunday morning. A decision to close school has a magnitude of consequences that will change life in Minnesota as we've seen it operating. It's very likely that we'll see additional spread. We're assuming that there is community transmission that's occurring. The social and economic effects of COVID-19 spread much faster than even the virus in Minnesota as state officials took drastic action to try to reduce the increase in cases, bend the curve as they say. We need to stop congregating. We're going to close the bars, we're going to close the restaurants, we're going to close the places where we gather, and understanding the magnitude of what we're doing The impositions that it will cause on people are not lost on any of us. Governor Walz's unprecedented executive order came on the eve of St. Patrick's Day. Well-known restaurateur Andrew Zimmern said, nobody wants to close, but we know that we must. My My heart breaks as I read letter after letter from chefs and restaurateurs across our state and country expressing the same ideas. Stephanie Shimp, owner of a major Twin Cities restaurant company, acknowledged how hard it is for someone in hospitality to tell customers, stay home. But this is a time to cook meals at home and to be with your family and to do everything we can to help those in health care and to flatten the curve and to keep the hospital beds open for those who really need it. The governor's restaurant and bar shutdown order expires March 27th, but... I think the expectation here is is that these will, of course, be re-upped. And I think most of us understand there will probably be a further extension. Many store shelves became bare of non-perishable food, cleaning supplies, sanitary wipes, toilet paper... And officials urge Minnesotans, do not hoard. One of the concerns and things that we're seeing is overbuying coming from customers, and that shortchanges other folks' basket sizes, which creates a real problem in our neighborhood. Minnesota Grocers Association President Jamie Poole. Please understand that we believe that the supply chain systems are solid to our grocery stores, but we need folks to be judicious about what they're purchasing, understanding that some people don't have the capacity to get it anywhere else. The restaurant and bar shutdown order put many thousands of Minnesotans out of work. They are eligible for unemployment compensation in what Governor Walls predicts will be the single largest request in Minnesota history. We're not coming in front of you making a closure without having the backstops in place to try and ease this. It will not make you whole, but our intention is is to try and make sure that it does not destroy your family or the well-being that you have. Officials say unemployment benefits also available to parents who can't go to work because their child's daycare is shut down due to coronavirus concerns. Employment and Economic Development Commissioner Steve Grove. If you are a parent who is experiencing child care challenges due to the closure or cancellation of child care facilities, you are eligible to receive unemployment benefits while you are away from work. 
Lawmakers worked into the early morning Tuesday on emergency assistant measures before taking an extended recess to ride out the COVID crisis at home in their districts. But they say they will be on call to come back to the Capitol if necessary. We're putting the people of Minnesota first and their health, uh, but we're also saying that we are available. We're going to continue to work. We have to continue to work. Senate Majority Leader Paul Gazelka. Food and sanitary supplies were not the only things in short supply. Minnesota also was not getting enough coronavirus testing kits. And state health officials said hospital patients, health care workers, and those in long-term care facilities now have priority. As we're seeing more and more cases and more and more disease activity, we really need to start focusing where our energies are. Governor Walls said Minnesota has 1,700 samples that need to be tested for COVID-19, and the state can't do it because the federal government diverted materials to other states with larger outbreaks. We're supposed to have high testing capacity in 14 of the most infected areas, but what it did was it dried us up to basically zero. With some people wanting COVID tests and not being able to get them, health officials sent out a top priority announcement. Our message is that individuals who are sick need to stay home regardless of what they think they have. Health Department's Chris Ayersman has this guidance for families or others in close settings. Dad comes home with symptoms, he now isolates himself for the duration of his symptoms. The rest of the family starts a 14-day period in which they're monitoring themselves for symptoms and staying out of the public. Ayersman says anyone with respiratory symptoms must self-quarantine until three days after those symptoms fully abate. And as the COVID crisis expanded, the state's Economic Forecasting Service predicted a recession lasting through the rest of 2020. Governor Walls warning the state's $1.5 billion budget surplus could turn into a deficit. I think this sets the tone for the people who were telling me I should have sent checks back in January of why that was a really bad idea. Republicans earlier called for tax cuts but did not comment after this latest economic news. Despite grim predictions, the governor says a bonding bill is necessary for state public works projects. Coming out of this, one of the best things we can do in a, uh, a stimulus program is to do a bonding bill and to do a robust package, uh, potentially around uh, transportation. Republicans appear willing to use bonding money for roads and bridges but resist a bonding number as large as the governor's $2 billion figure. With COVID-19 cases mounting across the U.S., could Minnesotans see shelter-in-place orders like in San Francisco? Governor Walls says that's one possible item in the toolbox. I certainly don't want to, uh, to alarm Minnesotans, but if there's anything that I can tell you is those are all potential things. And, of course, we want to do that in the most orderly manner possible talking to folks about it. And about the impulse to hoard, the governor reiterated. Don't do it, please. Our, our system of delivery of food and supplies is solid. Going to take cooperation. Again, we don't have enough police to arrest everybody who decides to buy too darn much toilet paper, but there's some social pressure we can ask. We're starting to see people be pretty respectful of their neighbors. Archbishop Bernard Hebda suspended for at least two weeks all regularly scheduled public masses in the Catholic Archdiocese of St. Paul in Minneapolis asking the faithful, Please continue to pray for those who have died from COVID-19 coronavirus, for those who mourn them, for those who are sick, and for the many who care for them. Governor Walls voiced what's probably on many Minnesotans' minds. The sustained changes that are coming in our society have not been seen since World War II. 
and the state of Minnesota is moving together to make sure first and foremost we protect our citizens, we protect our families and our neighbors, and we think about what the future looks like by making good decisions. Scott? Thank you, Bill. More on COVID-19 when Minnesota Matters returns. Welcome back to The Dog Show. Up next, we have Satchmo. Satchmo is a member of the Shelter Pet Group. That's right, a group known especially for their couch-snuggling, ball-chasing, face-licking, tail-wagging, backyard-hanging, and, of course, companionship. And what breed would you say Satchmo is? I'd have to go with maybe a lavish terrier-hound chihuahua-looking kind of mix. Tremendous dog. Mm, I'd also like to point out Satchmo's coloring, a white, gray, brown, black brindle, simply marvelous. You know, it's such a treat to watch a dog like this. Now, let's see him in action. Look how he makes eye contact with his person. That's actually known as the treat stare. How intuitive. And now he appears to be excitedly turning in circles. Ah, oh, the happy dance, so common with this group. And finally, the loving face lick. It's great how he just gets in there and, well, licks. Fantastic. But really, the best way to know an amazing shelter pet like Satchmo is to meet one. Visit theshelterpetproject.org today. Adopt. Brought to you by Maddie's Fund, the Humane Society of the United States, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. Kids impacted by the closing of schools due to COVID-19 may be a bit anxious or confused. They may have a lot of questions for parents. I spoke with Elizabeth Criswell, the Early Childhood Education Curriculum Coordinator at the University of Minnesota, about what kids and parents can do to help cope in these unprecedented times we're living in. I think a good place to start is to respond to what children are asking um, or even just like starting a conversation with them and asking them what they already have heard, what they know about, um, and then listening to see if there's anything in particular that they're afraid of or worried about. Um, One of the things that's really helpful to remember with young children is that if they don't understand certain aspects or if there are pieces of their understanding that are missing about something that's scary, their brains tend to fill in the blanks. Um, And oftentimes those can be with things that are, especially with very young children, illogical, kind of magical thinking. Sometimes they fill fill in the blanks with things that are even scarier. Um, So being really aware of the questions that children have and the things that they're already thinking about. You know, unfortunately, because of the the nature of this, we've got probably uh, a fair amount of adults that I would think that are also feeling some of that same anxiety that their kids are. Uh, What kind of an impact can that have on kids when they notice that the adults are also concerned? And and, and what can we do to, to temper that in some way? Yeah, I think that's a really great point, and it's really important for adults to know that it's a that it's extremely important for them to manage their anxiety first. So I think a lot of us want to jump in and be there with your children and, and start managing all of these things, but if you don't have your own anxieties at least in some way um, managed um, to the point where you're, you know, hopefully not panicking in front of and around your children, um, that that's going to stir up a lot of your children's own anxiety, your demeanor, your tone of voice, um, things like that. So um, letting families know that it's, it's not just okay for them to reach out to other people and get their own needs met, but that it's 
it's actually going to help their children to ask for help and um, get some social connections of their own. You know, in addition to listening to what kids may have as questions and, and trying to set a good example for them, are there uh, some things that you can think of that, that we should all be doing while we're sort of sequestered in our homes if we do happen to be in that situation to um, to try to sort of maintain our, our mental health in this in all this uncertainty? I think the, the one thing that's really helpful for children but also for adults for helping manage your anxiety and managing your um, your feelings of the unknown is to establish a routine in general. So um, I think people are looking down this this possible very long term um, time at home with with their children um, and feeling a little bit overwhelmed by that in general. Um, so trying to set up a daily routine where, you know, this is what we do every morning at breakfast time together. Um, it doesn't have to be a rigid thing that you do the exact thing every day, but having predictable routines um, helps children reduce their anxiety because they're not constantly thinking about what's going to come next. Um, it really allows their brain to relax in that way. This is what we do every single day. Uh, now our routine is disrupted because my usual routine was going to school and having that schedule and that um, external um, schedule set for me. And so trying to mimic that, not in the way that school does it, obviously, because you're not going to be running school at your home, but um, having a predictable routine of stuff that you do together, times that maybe, um, depending on their age, you spend apart and things like that. In addition to having a routine, Elizabeth, is there something that that we can do to sort of ease the the fact that uh, it may be long term, it it may not be, we we don't quite know. So we can have a routine, and that may help. But if if it does drag on over time, uh, is there some way that we need to adjust our behavior to be able to uh, get through a, a more long term, prolonged uh, case of maybe being stuck in our homes? Yeah, I think this will be, um, uh, for lack of um, a better uh, answer, will be kind of an experiment for all of us on how this, how families will find ways to make it work. Um, because this is, uh, like you said, when we first started talking, this is pretty unprecedented. Uh, usually, I've been talking to a lot of families who have said that this is like a, a, a multi-week snow day, except you don't get to go out and play in the snow. Um, so this will be kind of tricky to manage. Um, and I think giving families the um, the okay, that it's okay to let your children know that, they, that you don't know what's going to happen. You know, cueing them in on the things that you do know, um, and obviously manage your, managing your own anxieties around the unknown. But when they come up with questions like how long or when am I going to get to go back to school and things like that, letting them know in a very calm and matter-of-fact manner that this isn't something that any grown-ups have the answer to right now, and this is something that we're going to have to wait and see. You know, And we're going to stay home, and we're going to take care of each other until we find out. Thank you to my guest, Elizabeth Criswell, the Early Childhood Education Curriculum Coordinator at the University of Minnesota. Minnesota Matters will return after this.
Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Second Harvest Heartland Food Bank employees are working around the clock packing up emergency food boxes for Minnesotans in need during the COVID-19 pandemic. MNN's Tasha Radel has more. That's right, Scott. The goal is to make sure no one goes hungry as the outbreak expands. Joining me now is Second Harvest Heartland CEO, Allison O'Toole. Allison, I heard you saying the need for food in Minnesota communities is off the charts and there's really no time to waste with a lot of Minnesotans out of work. Let's talk about what you folks there at Second Harvest Heartland have been focusing on. Yeah, I'm happy to and thanks for the opportunity to talk today, Tasha. The team at Second Harvest Heartland is mobilized and ready to respond um, to the needs of our hungry neighbors. We are mobilizing around emergency food boxes that will be distributed statewide through distribution points. Um, And we're also working to mobilize uh, service around prepared meals. So really trying to, you know, what we keep at the top of our mind is our hungry neighbors right now and all the pressures that um, these folks are feeling as as this crisis worsens. So we're trying to shore up their cupboards like many of the rest of us are doing right now so they can practice social isolation to keep themselves healthy. And Allison, you know, you we talked a little bit about these uh, boxes. And then, you know, when we look at, I think there's 300-plus food shelves across the state. Are are they, um, I guess, a little bit nervous going into the next, I, I guess, the unknown? We don't know how long this is going to be going on for. Yeah, I think on behalf of all the food banks in Minnesota and the food shelves and meal programs and who are really the front lines in this fight to solve hunger, everyone is nervous, but we are all working together. We are coming together around responses um, to the needs of our community. And I know when I think about Second Harvest Heartland, we are, you know, we are in high gear. I have eight trucks, truckloads of food on their way to our warehouse. They will be here Wednesday. We will pack them up and ship them to these distribution points as soon as we can. We are in need of volunteers and financial resources. You can go to twoharvest.org and um, find information about both of those options. I know that food shelves and meal programs across the state, especially in greater Minnesota, also need help. And so um, I just encourage uh, however you can be generous, either with time or um, financial resources, we are so very grateful, um, and it's going to take all of us for this response. All right, Allison, well, lots of good information. Anything else you wanted to hit on that I didn't bring up today? No, I just want to reiterate I am thankful to Governor Walls and his administration for their leadership their steady leadership during this time, and the Second Harvest team stands ready to respond immediately to the needs of our community. So um, just we're very grateful for the generosity of this community and the leadership we have. All right, perfect. Well, we'll help spread the word. And as always, Allison, I thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks again to my guest, Allison O'Toole, CEO at Second Harvest Heartland Food Bank. If you'd like to make a donation toward an emergency food box, you can head to their website at twoharvest.org. That's the numeral twoharvest.org. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Coming up next, we will have a closer look at how COVID-19 is impacting sports and leisure in Minnesota. That, when Minnesota Matters, returns. 
Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The COVID-19 pandemic has, in essence, shut down the entire sports world. The NHL, NBA, and the MLS have suspended their seasons. Major League Baseball has pushed back opening day. College and high school athletics have been canceled or put on hold. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm has reaction from a variety of angles. Scott, the girls' and boys' state high school basketball championships were canceled in Minnesota, and the spring sports high school seasons are currently on standstill. Eric Martins is the executive director of the Minnesota State High School League and said earlier this week on MNN. During the time of closure that's been set by the governor, we're saying no practice of any kind should happen. And then an additional week right now has been set in place for no contest. And we'll see where we're at in terms of numbers. What does that mean and how do we handle that? And while we think that athletic and competitions are really important, they are not necessary. And so if they're not necessary, then we probably have to be more restrictive in those things that are not necessary and stay in line with the desire to reduce any kind of community transmission of this uh, significant disease. Martin says they're hoping to get the spring sports season restarted at some point, but we'll put public health first. We're here to support community health. The messages that are coming from our state-level leaders and what they're saying about what we need to be doing, our goal is to be in concert with all of them, provide the safest possible experience. And we've always been there. We've made rule changes and things like that we're just in a completely different situation so we need to be supportive as you said we listen to our department of health and what they're recommending we've been recommending the same things and where and when we need to step in and say here's what we're going to do right now we're willing to do that the president of the minnesota state high school coaches association is war road softball coach terry sadler he says all coaches and players have to keep in mind this is something bigger than sports the big thing is to remember as we try to move forward that it isn't just us It isn't uh, just War Road. It isn't just Minnesota that is, quote-unquote, being punished or denied, I should say, maybe a better phrase, that, you know, everybody's going through it. And we have to keep that mindset and open perspective on it. Now, it may still not soothe the desires of uh, wanting to get out and compete, but, you know, those are the realities that we deal with. Sadler says students have to have some guidance, some structure, and some discipline now. We have kids that are lost. We're in a generation where students... Lives are so structured and busy and occupied, going from school to work to activity one, activity two, activity three, or more in their daily schedules that we're breaking from that routine, and now they're all of a sudden left with a bunch of unstructured time. Craig Anderson of Pine Island is a retired Hall of Fame baseball coach and the executive director of the Minnesota State High School Baseball Coaches Association. He says if there is no season, now's the time to make unique memories for players. We're waiting for the medical experts to tell us it would 
be with the appropriate caution that we'd be able to play and, and then continue playing baseball. So I think we will have to be psychology uh, majors in a way and work with these athletes. If they aren't able to play, there'll be a few tears shed, but in the long term, I think they'll know that their safety is our, our highest priority. Rockford softball coach Don Engebretson is the president of the Minnesota State Fast Pitch Softball Association. She says she's counting on her team to get through this. I have two seniors this year, and they're my captains, and I kind of put them in, in charge of helping us kind of just reach out and sort of do something online through, you know, Instagram or whatever where they can still make memories with each other even though they can't be face-to-face. So they're staying busy at home. They all posted different photos of what they were doing for the first day, you know, without softball. And so, but you know, there's wide range of photos from, you know, girls sleeping in their bed to, you know, doing pyramids with their younger brothers and sisters, a couple of them practicing, you know, off the tee in their garage and stuff like that, to a couple of them with bandanas over their noses and faces and, you know, cleaning products in both hands, scrubbing down every surface in their house. So, you know, that's going to be something that we're going to probably rely on pretty heavily for these next couple of weeks. Colleges have been hit hard with everything basically shut down and no sports this spring. Classes at most places are now off campus and online only. That includes the University of Minnesota, where football coach P.J. Flex says figuring out where all of his players will be during this time has been tricky. We have some international kids who are not U.S. residents that they're afraid they won't come back if they go and they could come back if they do go home. Two, some of the homes that we actually have, not just the virus or the disease, we're talking more of the University of Minnesota, our area is safer for them to live and a better environment for them to live than where they are from back home because they did get out of a very hostile environment or got out of a certain situation that wasn't safe for them. So there's all these challenges when you have over 100 players that you're working on and not only that, staff members you want to keep safe. He says the coaching staff is working from home. That's a new challenge but it also gives them something they haven't always gotten. One, it gives us a unique time that we have and coaching you really don't have, which I never want to take away from them. So we have a balance between the family and the football. That is being home with your family. And a lot of times as coaches, we don't get that time enough. And this is an opportunity I want our staff to be able to take advantage of, be around your family. But we do have a daily calendar and a daily schedule of what we're doing. And whether that's film from studying our opponent from last year, getting ready for the first three games of our season, plus our rivals, uh, we do that in the June June period, so we're going to do that now. The Division II Northern Sun Intercollegiate Conference has shut down sports for the year. That league includes nine Minnesota-based schools. Commissioner Aaron Lind. This is bigger than sport, and for so many of us that work in intercollegiate athletics, this is life. This is what you do, but this is also a time where you realize that you can't let your job or maybe your sport define who you are, whether you're a coach or you're a student-athlete or you're an administrator. So in the grand and scheme of things, not terribly challenging to make that decision, but the necessary decisions to make. And as we know, pro sports, the Wolves, Loons, and Wild are on hold. The Twins have been pushed back. Wild GM Bill Guerin says they're all just waiting. We don't want them getting together right now. We don't want them uh, trying to congregate in another rink or anything like that and, and have practices. They, they can't even get their equipment right now. And that's the reaction from the Minnesota sports world on Minnesota Matters. Scott? Thank you, Mike. That's going to do it for this week. Just a reminder to everyone out there, please stay safe. Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.